now sitting at the wave table. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 16 of the wave table. This episode is featuring Tercy, who I've met on Instagram. He's a fucking sick dubstep producer. <laughs> um, thank you so much for joining me, dude. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, it was just kind of on a whim. I decided to reach out one day. I saw that you had the podcast. I saw that, you know, it was featuring kind of people who are doing stuff from the ground up. Yeah. Uh, you know, I figured it would be a great opportunity just to kind of, you know, get in front of some new eyes and just kind of meet some new people. And you seem like a really cool dude. So thanks, man. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. I, um, I really like just trying to bring some light to fellow like unknown producers. Um, it's just like, there's just so much talent out there that doesn't get recognized, you know? So I feel like just tr trying to spread it around a bit as much as I can, uh, and do what I can to help those who aren't, haven't like got a massive following yet. Yeah. I've kind of, uh, I've, I've not like learned, but felt that there's so many people that have like, you know, the talent to write good music, but they just don't have the marketing sense or like the internet, uh, marketing sense to kind of get their music yeah out in front of the right people like podcasts like this really help people like that out a lot and i think that's like i don't know it's a really good service because not everyone is the best marketing person or not everyone's the best at getting their stuff out in front of people and yeah. uh, i don't know podcasts like this are really really good like that are really good for uh for things like that and i think it uh, plays a huge role in like the indie music scene and uh you know getting bedroom producers out of the bedroom and kind of like into the mainstream because I, I feel like it's a little oversaturated sometimes or like how the scenes are set up is all the focus gets like the spotlight gets focused onto like a few main people and you know the bedroom producers kind of fall through the cracks and don't get yeah. the recognition that they produce or that they deserve. Yeah, and um, it's kind of like local radio stations as well mm -hmm. try to do like a similar thing to this where like local radio stations I'd, I'd switch one on and i've literally never even heard of anyone who's on it but a lot of it is just really fucking good music if, even if you're not the type of person to listen to regular radio you've got to be able to admit that a lot of the stuff that's on there is still really good music um so i wanted to kind of start off with your backstory and like mm -hmm. what got you into producing like did you play any instruments or anything before that yeah i guess music has always been a part of my life somewhat uh my mom has a musical side she's a singer um cool. not like full professionally but she does like she performs she sings jazz and she's pretty proficient on the piano um, so as, you know, as a, as a youngling, she shoved me in piano lessons. And at the time I hated it because <laughs> I had real bad ADHD. So uh, I'd get yeah. like really frustrated when I couldn't pick things up. And, uh, it was a struggle at first. And I ended up kind of like getting this aversion to it when I was like 10 or 12 and I wanted to play guitar. So I, uh, I took guitar lessons and I ended up picking up guitar for a while. and uh you know, halfway through high school, I think I was like 16, 
uh, my friend Nate and I, we downloaded Fruity Loops on my laptop. And uh, I was really into like Tiesto and trance at the time. And I wanted to learn how to make trance, which is kind of what got the ball rolling on that. And uh, yeah, I just downloaded FL Studio and really dove into it one night when I was 16. And you know, three days later, I had a, you know, a bare bones trance track made. And I was Sick. like, I kind of really dig doing this. And it was at the same time where like Monster Cat Media was taken off. So, uh, you know, I'm watching all these new dubstep mixes come out in like 2011 and 2012. And I'm like, what is this stuff? This is so cool. Like, I want to learn how to make this. And that's kind of what got the ball rolling was uh, all of that happening within like the same year, year and a half. And uh, so, you know, after high school, I was producing uh, amateurly making beats and EDM. And I decided that I wanted to go to school for like audio engineering, learn like the more technical side of this, of the industry, like recording studio, uh, like live sound, stuff like that. Um, so in I think like 2013 or 14, I met one of my roommates when I moved to uh, Philadelphia for college and he used Ableton and he kind of showed me Ableton and, uh, like a few months later, I switched completely to Ableton. I fell in love with it. And that's kind of when my producing really started to take off. Yeah. And it wasn't kind of ha until halfway through college in like 2015 where I really made the switch to dubstep and EDM. Um, it was hip hop. Like my, my goal was to make beats and like link up with some rappers and start a music career that way. But uh, yeah, I ended up kind of like getting this knack for making sound for like designing sounds and sit uh, and like massive and serum and making songs with them. And it kind of just turned out that I really liked making dubstep and, you know, fast forward a few years, uh, I got a degree in audio engineering. I ended up, you know, getting jobs, uh, like working live sound and just kind of kept making music. That's so I guess it's always been in my life. Uh, even as a little kid and it kind of just went with it. Uh, I didn't really plan on doing it, but you know, with, uh, especially with quarantine, it kind of really <laughs> like jump started my, uh, yeah, my want to start to get music out there. Cause I lost all my like live sound jobs. I'm doing mm -hmm. like landscaping right now. Um, which I, I don't hate. It pays well, but it's not like my passion. Like, yeah like doing rigging for concert was or working in a studio or something, but those jobs have all almost dried up. Yeah. So, mu making music right now is also kind of really cathartic because like I'm able to still make art and get it out there. And I don't feel like I'm just, uh, you know, working to work. It feels like I'm working and I also have this on the side to kind of keep myself sane at the same time. Yeah. I think coming out of quarantine, a lot of people are going to be starting like personal brands, um, their own, like becoming their own boss, essentially, um, launching careers, launching creative endeavors. I feel like we're going to see like such a massive shift in the economy after, even after quarantine ends and everything kind of goes back to normal. Yeah, it's almost like. You know, everyone who has lost a job or every creative who has had to get, excuse me, get a job that isn't, uh, I don't know, isn't geared towards like what they want to do. 
are starting to think, well, how can I, you know, brand myself? How can I uh, take what I create from home and make money off of it and, you know, brand it and sell it and capitalize on it? I think, you know, that's, it sucks that, that 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 COVID had to kind of <laughs> yeah like cause people to do this. I wish it was under better terms, but it's also like I think it's interesting to see how people like are managed to making it work. So I, th- I think it's a good case study. It's unprecedented. If you, oh yeah, for sure. If people are doing it successfully, you know, maybe study them and be like, oh well, what are they doing that's making it work for them? And maybe I can try and make it work for me. Yeah. Um. And yeah, I I think it's it's going to breed a or yeah, it's going to breed a whole new brand of, like you said, bosses, people who are kind of, you know, starting businesses, lifestyle brands, whatever you want to call it, with their art because, you know, they're scrambling to make money doing at least something right now. Yeah, um, I feel like a lot of people are in there, but they're they kind of don't know what to do, and they're turning to art and. Know, creative outlets to try and subsidize their income somewhere. Yeah. And even established artists are turning to different aspects. Like, you mm-hmm. know, obviously, since there's no shows anymore, a lot of artists are having to turn to like sample packs, live streams, and that I've kind noticed of thing. that. Yeah. I've noticed a lot of people who I follow on Instagram are releasing like splice packs, splice yeah. packs right now. Um, company is one of them oh yeah Uh, i've always i've never gotten one because i've always like not had an aversion to samples but i like to like use actual patches because i like to be able to tweak them but uh i don't know maybe maybe one of these days i'll actually download one and see what they're about because people seem to like them and uh you know selling patches and like doing stuff like that is something that i've also toyed with uh Later on down the line, just trying to figure out, going back to what we were saying about like being your own boss and trying to figure out how to make money. I feel like I think being able to sell like every, not every aspect, but being able to uh, break it down and kind of, I don't know, like break it down and sell it. Yeah. In the uh, different ways are pretty interesting. And uh, if you can do it right, it can be lucrative like taking everything you do and selling it in as many ways as possible. Like for example, how whenever I upload an episode of the podcast, I also post a snippet every day on socials Um, kind of in a similar way. Let's say you release an EP. You could also take all the samples and presets that you had in that EP and sell them separately as a sample pack or something like that. Yeah. So yeah, that that definitely explains a lot better than I did. But, uh, <laughs> That's I okay. totally agree. Um, so, how long were you actually producing before you started making dubstep? Um, probably about four years um let's see maybe a little bit longer 2012 to about 2000 uh at yeah, 2012 to about 2015 so about three years um that's when i really like found my niche like i i had always been listening to dubstep and edm um 
but I had never been making it because mm. wasn't that I wasn't at that skill level yet. <laughs> I feel that. Um, <laughs> yeah, but once I had arrived there, I was like, "Wow, I really like this." Yeah, and it kind of just it took off like wildfire. Once I found operator in Ableton and some like uh, vengeance drum packs, it was it was game over. I was mm. making all sorts of little wonky tunes, and from there. It, you know, expanded into me downloading Massive and then Serum and uh, yeah. So about three years. Then I hopped into dubstep in 2015, and I kind of, I've, I still make beats sometimes if like I'm feeling it, or like I'll make some like drum and bass stuff. But since uh, for the past, yeah, for the past four years, it's been mostly dubstep. Cool. So um, how? How long do you think you spent on dubstep before you were comfortable with the level of production that you're at? Like, I know your your first dubstep release, at least as far as I'm aware, was about two weeks ago. Um, was that was that pretty much the point at which you felt comfortable actually releasing stuff? Yeah, um, I feel like there. Maybe were a few instances beforehand where I was at that level, and um, I also attribute it to a little hiatus I took in between graduating from college. And uh, there, there was like a year where I kind of wasn't living the best I could have been, and I wasn't really doing anything with music, and uh, I kind of like lost a year of skill almost mm-hmm. and I had to take like a few months to kind of get it all back. Um, that was probably like two years ago. So just now I'm like, I feel like I've got my mixing and my mastering honed back in. Um, I feel like I got my sound design honed back in and I feel like everything's exactly where it needs to be. My first release now, when I go back and listen to the mixing, I'm like, I could have done this better. I could have <laughs> rolled more hellos off in that. You know, there's always stuff you hear that you wish you could have fixed, yeah. but at the time I was happy with it. And I feel like, you know, these, all these next songs that I have set to come out, each one is a little bit more polished and a little bit better. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's only a matter of time before, uh, before I, I, I feel like they're on par with, with what's already out there right now, like the industry standard. Hell yeah. I'm, I'm not ignorant to the fact that I'm not, you know, I'm just starting off. So like my mixes may not be the greatest yet, but, uh, you know, now, now, now that I'm kind of found my groove and I've found myself, it's, uh, it's all starting to come together. Sick. Yeah. I like the fact that you're just releasing stuff and like, you're looking back on it and thinking like, Oh, I could have done that better, but you're not going back and changing it and then re-uploading it. Like that's a really good space to be in because if you get stuck in that loop of going back and changing things, it's like you get stuck in the past. You know, <laughs> I couldn't. Once I'm done a song, it's like I'm sick of it. I don't want to hear it anymore. <laughs> yeah. You know, I've heard it on repeat a thousand times. Once it's sent to the distributor, and I'm like, I'm happy with it. I'm. I usually don't want to ever open that session up again. <laughs> and it's not because it's like, it's a bad taste in my mouth. It's just because it doesn't hit the same anymore. Yeah. You just, you hear it so much over and over and over. 
Exactly. But yeah, um, now I'm starting to get to the point where it takes about like a week or two to throw like a decent track together. Um, Sweet. You know, the, the times are compressing. I'm starting to kind of, I don't have a main process per se. Like I don't start with one instrument first, but I'm starting to boil it down to like a digestible process that I'm able to repeat every time. And uh, just having that sort of way of thinking about it is making writing these songs a lot easier. And I think it's helping my end product be a lot more complete as well. Hell yeah. Having a general process is really good for not only speeding up your workflow, but developing your own unique sound. Mm -hmm. Developing my own unique sound is something that I've had in like back of my mind for a while. I've been saving like all the serum patches I've made. Hell yeah. And eventually what I want to do is package them all together. But my idea is if I use them enough and enough songs, people will start to recognize those sounds and attach them to my name, so on and so forth. Exactly. Yeah. And some then, like weird psychological <laughs> stuff. And then once they're attached to your name, then you can sell them and be like, Hey, this is kind of my sound. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, Cause I mean like, you know, but you're selling is more than just a sound you're selling, like you as a person, your, or as your brand, your image, your yeah. lifestyle, you know? Okay. So I want to talk about like the process of creating and also releasing your first track or your first dubstep release, which you titled, Hey, that's pretty good, which I thought was quite appropriate. <laughs> mm. So, um, do you want to tell me about kind of, what inspired it, um, how you went about achieving the sounds in that track and anything else that you'd like to add on? Yeah. So I early off, um, the sample I used is a sample from a YouTuber iDubs. Um, I think it's him at a convention saying, Hey, that's pretty good. And when I heard that sample, I kind of made like the mental note. I'm like, Hey, that would be a good kind of like play on words almost for a song title. Um, I was like, I will, I'm I'm planning on doing my debut song soon. Why don't I just use that for that? So that's kind of how I got that idea started. And uh, yeah, I just got the the sample from a video, separated the audio, chopped it up and ported it into the session. And from there, it was a few days of just messing around with serum. And that's when I really started to build my own patches was for that song. Um, so I think like the first five patches I built in my collection were actually for that track. So I was kind of starting with nothing at that. I was kind of just developing my sound. Um, and I wanted it to be melodic, um, melodic with some like rhythm overtones. I didn't want it just to be like one tone rhythm. I wanted it to have, yeah. you know, a chord progression in the, a chorus somewhere and have it come back in a little bit during the verse as well. Um, so I guess, I guess like developing the sounds, um, how they came about was kind of just messing around with knobs, messing around with patches, no real direction. I was just starting from scratch. And then if I landed on a sound and I liked it, I saved it and I tried it and I tried to implement it somehow. The old the old process of writing it probably took about like two weeks um, because it was my first song. I was going back and changing some things, 
the mixing itself probably took another two weeks. And then I took it to my friend's studio nearby and uh, we mastered it together there. So it probably was like three weeks or six weeks total to do everything, which now is a little bit more time than I would like to spend. But because it was, you know, it was my first time around the, around the block, essentially I was, uh, I was taking a little bit more time than I normally would have. Yeah. But after that, you know, I, I sat on it for a while and it took me a little bit to get the art together. Um, the artist is someone who I went to high school with who does graphic design now. Um, yeah, I happened to go to a lot of kids who I grew up with kind of got into the creative arts. So I will tend to hit them up if hit them up if I need something done. So the artwork I paid $60 for and, uh, you know, he did it like full custom commission. And after that, I sat on it for like another month, everything. And then I sent it to uh, DistroKid, the distributor. And I just wa- read some stuff, watched the videos on uh, like online marketing and took some notes and kind of implemented them the best I could in like a little 10 day campaign where I posted something every day about it. Yeah. And lead it the, uh, to the drop. And it worked somewhat. I got like nothing like 70 streams total in like the first few days across uh, Apple Music and Spotify. Oh, yeah. So, uh, you know, not huge numbers, but it's something. And, uh, you know, aiming for more the next time around. But that was, that's pretty much the whole process from start to finish. Sweet. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it may not have gotten massive numbers, but it got my attention, like the whole, uh, Instagram campaign that you were doing. So uh, that's definitely something that I think other producers need to keep in mind is you shouldn't just make one post about a track and then Instagram never hears about that track again. Like you need yeah. to, you need to do a whole campaign. Like I can't remember exactly what the number is, but I think it's like you need to put something in front of people's eyes like seven times before they'll actually click it. Yeah. So yeah, it's very. It pays off a lot to be persistent with social media. There's something to be said for, you know, flashing an image in front of someone so many times before they start to like, just think about it. Where they're like, "Huh, maybe I should check that out." Like yeah. for some reason, my brain's thinking about that. Let me go see what's up with it and itch that curiosity scratch that curiosity itch essentially and when you have like a and such an awesome artwork like yours did it's uh it definitely helps out like tell that uh, tell that guy mad props from me (laughs) yeah he's uh he's on instagram at dakota mf watson dakota mf watson dakota motherfucking watson yeah he's a cool (laughs) dude he's really He's got crazy good freehand skills, and I like his uh, his style because it's kind of like dark, yeah, and, uh, but like still colorful at the same time. I don't know; it's very unique. I've never really seen anything like it, and I think he did a killer job with the artwork. Oh, and yeah. I'm actually using him to do some more as well. So uh, sick, dude! I feel yeah. like we're the same fucking person. Like we <laughs> both started out on FL. We both switched to Ableton and started making dubstep. We both went to audio engineering school. Um, we both paid $60 for our first artwork 
and we're continuing yeah. <laughs> to work with the same person for our heart. <laughs> what the fuck, man? <laughs> it's. I feel like it's a more common trope than we would probably assume. Yeah. Like I said, all these indie artists, they don't get recognition. There's probably tons of people out there who are just like us, you know, doing everything from the ground up, working with their friends, paying 60 bucks for art. It's a... Uh, I just wish more people like us would, uh, you know, get the spotlight sometimes. Yeah. Um, that's what we're all working towards. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if we, um, keep up the social media grind and shit, eventually it'll happen. Yeah. Sometimes it feels like a second job. Yeah. <laughs> <Dude>. Really? <laughs> it really is like, doesn't feel like a second job. It actually is. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I wanted to jump back to the sound design for Hey, That's Pretty Good real quick. Cool. Um, I was wondering if there's any specific like serum filters or anything that you like to use or any post-processing techniques that you'd like to highlight. And serum on that song, a lot of the like timbre changes in the synthesizer I was getting by attaching an LFO to just like the wavetable position as well as a comb filter on mm. the, like the resonance and the drive. And uh, the same LFO that would, uh, that would affect the levels of like the sub and the, uh, the oscillators. I would also put same movement on the wavetable and like the resonance on the cone filter or on the comb filter. I'm <laughs> sorry. And yeah, that would, uh, it would. It kind of got this uh, really cool metallic movement that I thought was really neat. Like, uh, kind of utilized that a lot. Um, trying to think of what else I would do in serum that was a little new, unique. Everything was kind of just uh, a lot of frequency modulation. I used the FM to B on oscillator B a lot, or on R on oscillator A. I would send oscillator B to it. I think all of my patches revolved around that. Uh, sort of routing. Yeah. And then just like affecting the wavetables and the resonance and the drive on the filter uh, to really change the timbre of the sounds a lot. As far as post processing, just some. Uh, for that song, I used a, a VST that was modeled after a actual analog API compressor. Oh, sick. Thought the Waves API 2500. And that just gave it a little bit more of a warmer, rounder tone because the synths were pretty harsh especially in the high end and that like softened up the sibilance a little bit i would have done it differently now i would have used it like in like ott or a multi-band compressor i didn't use that at all in that song oh um, wow <laughs> yeah now I, I i do use that uh, at the time i didn't um like that's one of the things i would have done differently but i still think it sounds all right yeah but uh but yeah, just regular compression, some fab filter EQing, um, some ozone, uh, like widening on it, some image widener and ozone elements. And that's it. Nothing too crazy. Now my process chains are a little bit more, more crazy than they, than they were for that song. Yeah. I was watching a, did, I don't really use sends and returns that much to you. Oh, I'm so glad you said that. Yeah, it completely escaped my mind. Um, in my mixes, I'll use the sends for parallel compression mm. a lot. 
I'll uh, I'll usually make like six buses, and I'll have two for drums, two for bass, and two for synths. And likewise, I'll send whether it's a bass track, a synth track, or a drum track. I'll send it to each to its respective uh, like return. And then on each return, I'll put a compressor and I'll make the ratio just shy of a limiter. Yeah. And make the threshold like, I don't know, like negative 20, something really low. So pretty much you're just getting a bunch of gain reduction. And then I turn the master out back up. So the gain reduction noise is equal to what the input volume was. So I'll take all these returns that are essentially just a bunch of compressed noise and I'll mix them all in at like negative 45 decibels. And what it'll do is it'll raise the RMS, but it won't raise the peak value. Um, so you'll be making it a little bit louder without, uh, like going over or clipping on your meters. And, uh, it's, it's like a weird version of parallel compression that I've kind of developed that I think really beefs up the sound and mm-hmm. like makes it scream through the speakers and make it sound like it's right next to you. That's a little weird thing I do with the returns, I guess. Yeah, but, that's awesome, yeah. actually. Like, I've heard of parallel compression or NY compression before, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. But um, I never really took into consideration how it could actually raise the loudness of the track. I always just, um, you know, I always just thought it would make the track fatter, which is like the traditional use for it. But um, yeah, raising the loudness with some just adding some thickness blended in really low. That's a really good idea. I was going to ask if you use any sends and returns for anything else. Cause I was watching a company stream like earlier and he had one for like reverb, one for width, uh, one for probably parallel compression and then like three more returns. And I'm like, mm. what, what do you need all these for, man? <laughs> um, other than like if I need reverb or like a delay, I'll use returns for that. I'll never just slap reverb on a track unless it's some weird like creative decision. Mm. Um, so yeah, I'll, if I need like a reverb room or delay, I'll use sense for that. But normally it's either that or parallel compression. I don't really use them for anything else. Cool. Um, yeah, I know some people like to get crazy with that stuff, but I feel like that's just more ways to confuse yourself and yeah like routing issues and whatnot there's been so many times where i'm like where the fuck is this like random tail coming from yeah and it's just some random send that is i've only got like one track <laughs> sending t- to the return mm-hmm. but for some reason i made a return and it's just it c- makes me waste like half an hour of trying to figure shit yeah out. Yeah, so try. I guess try not to use returns too much unless you feel like you really, really need to send a lot of tracks to them. Obviously, sends and buses are really useful, but I feel like people just go too crazy sometimes. Mm, for sure. It's like you don't need to do all that crazy routing stuff if you don't need to. Sometimes I feel like people go a little too heavy just to go a little too heavy, but who am I to judge? I mean, if it sounds good in the end, it sounds good in the end, and that's all that really matters. If anyone wants, like, this is just a random return trick that I um, discovered. If you want, like, a really gritty, like, cyberpunk, mid-tempo kind of 
vibe in your track. Like if you just want shit to sound absolutely fucked up, put like a delay on a return at a hundred percent wet, but then also sidechain the return mm-hmm. and blend it in like just to taste. And it'll like I'm I'm talking send like literally every single track, the drums, basses, everything into that return. But just make sure you sidechain it and it mm-hmm. gives a crazy texture across the track. Hmm. If you mess with the delay time, make sure it's like not too long as well. It's great. Right. Um, That's interesting. So I wanted to talk about like how your percussion hits uh, are placed in, hey, that's pretty good. So there's one point in the track where uh, kind of one of the percussion hits kind of takes the place of the snare. Like it's uh, it's on every three. And mm-hmm. normally I would say that you don't want to have like a snare panned off to the side or anything. But I thought that that actually worked pretty well. And like it took me a second to realize that it was actually panned because it worked so well. Um, was that like a conscious decision that you made or did you kind of just mess around and it happened? Right. So that percussion that was panned, um, the reason it was panned was not for that part, but, um, for when that, that like sequence where the, where they all hit, um, I haven't panned. So it's kind of like ping ponging back and forth. So that one just happened to be, it just happened to fall on that side, like in that sequence. So where the part of the song came, where I decided to put that over the snare on the three to kind of accent it a little bit. It just happened. I didn't change the panning. It just happened to stay over there. And yeah, once I listened to it, I was like, Oh, this, this actually works. Yeah. So I just, <laughs> I just left it like that. Sick. Yeah. So I, it was accidental at first, but once I realized that I made the conscious decision to, to leave it in there. Hell yeah. So it was like kind of a curating thing where, you know, you didn't do it on purpose, but you're like, Hey, that seems like a pretty good idea. I'll roll with that. (laughs) Yeah. So um, the next thing I'd like to ask you is, you know, coming off the release of, hey, that's pretty good. We've kind of talked about how there's things that you want to improve on already. uh, But I wanted to ask if there's any specific areas that you'd like to improve on for these next releases. Yeah. um, Specifically mix down and structure i just sent two demos off to some labels recently and they came back and they were like they pretty much said that was the one two things that like that they uh that they couldn't accept about it was the one was the mix down and uh they liked the like like the they liked what i was going for but the uh verse in the chorus structure needed to tie in a little bit better right yeah. <clears throat> so after I got those notes back, I was like, I gotta change, you know, I gotta get better at this. So these next few songs that I've that I have in the works right now, I kind of really made sure to address those issues because they are very like I went back and I listened to the songs and I'm like, I didn't hear it at the time because I was like, you know, I guess I was I was blinded by I guess I had blinders on listening to my own music. Yeah. And like when I, when I went, once I said it, send it out and I got the honest feedback back, I was like, Oh, like they're right. 
this, this does need work in those areas. So now, um, with these, this song that I'm writing right now that I've been posting videos of on Instagram, I really have high hopes for it. Um, it already sounds good without it being mixed too much. I'm hoping mm. that I can, you know, keep it sounding the way it is and preserve everything how it is and just tighten it up and polish it off. And, uh, same for another song that I have planned as well. That's a little bit more kind of like a future trap song. It's, it revolves around like a really punchy kick drum and some like ear candy synths, but kind of like an 808 bass, not really an LFO bass. Mm. But yeah, just focusing on making like a good intro that ties over into the verse that turns into back into like the good intro chorus. Um, nailing that right now and nailing like the polished mix are the number two at the top of my checklist that I'm honing in right now that I want to perfect on these next songs. Cause I, I do want to send all these tracks out as demos. Yeah. And you know, I do want labels to be like, Oh, this is up to our standard. So those are, those are two things I'm trying to fix right now and definitely I'm working on. Cool. As far as like other releases, um, I think I got, I have about three songs right now that are in the works being written. That'll probably come out. Uh, probably one come out in like maybe November, another one in January or February. I'm not too sure of the release schedule yet, but after these, I want to do like an EP or something, or maybe if I find a home at a label somewhere after I, uh, like, like refine my mixing and stuff, uh, come out with an EP. Oh yeah. And in the meantime, I've just been trying to like book shows and, uh, like DJ as much as I can, just try to get my name in front of people, everything. Are you actually allowed to like go out and play gigs again over there? Drive, drive through gigs. Right. Yeah. Um, I've been, I'm trying to actually get in with this company who produces drive through shows to do like rigging for them, like stage building and stuff Sick. like that, just to try and get back into that sort of work. But yeah, that's the only way you're able to do it right now is have like a big outdoor venue or a drive through thing. I don't even think you you can have an outdoor show with people standing. I think it, it has to be in cars. Mm. Yeah, I've seen a few videos on Twitter of outdoor shows and people definitely were not social distancing. <laughs> no, the only things I've played have been like online gigs. Mm. Which, uh, that's good, yeah. Yeah. I have fun doing it. It's definitely something that once quarantine is lifted, I want to start doing it like in front of people more often. Hell yeah. It'll be interesting, like starting with online gigs and then going to real life. Cause obviously before quarantine, most people had started with gigs in clubs and such, and then had to yeah. go to online stuff. Yeah, I've been thinking of reaching out to some outdoor venues and uh, like just seeing what's up if they need DJs or uh, you know if they're planning on hosting outdoor stuff or anything like that. Yeah, always good to try get your foot in the door as early as possible. Definitely. Let's go back to those whips that you were talking about that you've posted on Insta. So there's like three or more, right? Three or four. Yeah. Um, have you considered 
like sending them to labels as an EP rather than singles? Yes, I have. And I have toyed with that idea. The thought that I always come back to is other than I made them, they don't really have that much in common. Yeah. Like, I guess when, when I think of an EP, I think of like a group of songs that at least have some sort of common idea or theme or sounds or whatever. Though, I guess it doesn't really have to be that way. That's just how I feel. So I have toyed with sending them as an EP, but I also am like, do I just want to say it's an EP, but in reality, it's just four songs that don't really have any connection that I just lumped together. (laughs) But, you know, I feel like that's kind of what an EP is nowadays. It's like you're just showcasing who you are and what you do and your music and everything. And uh, it's kind of shifted away from being... Like a, a, a story, a th- yeah, a story or a themed project, and now it's kind of just a showcase of what you can do. So, I think that's something that I'm definitely toying with the idea of, like refine, especially the songs that I've sent out that they that the labels rejected. Maybe like going back and remixing those and resending those as well with these new mm, songs. That'd be just, a really good idea, I think. Yeah, or just because once I'm done with the song, I'm done with it. Just you know, chalking it up as a, as an L and just pushing forward with some new music. Yeah. Actually, yeah, the latter is probably the better way to go. (laughs) Yeah. Just, you know, just for in like terms of progression and not, you know, regressing into getting caught in the past and whatnot. But I, I think, uh, I think labels want EPs nowadays. I think they want to see that you can make more than just one song. Yeah. But maybe it'll be in my better interest to lump these next few tracks together and send them out that way. That's kind of, yeah, that's kind of why I brought it up because um, I've heard from a few different sources that labels are wanting EPs more than singles, especially during quarantine since so many people are making more music right now. EPs are just going to naturally make more sense because there's more, there's more stuff to put out, so why not put out EPs? But also submitting EPs to labels allows you allows them to see your variety. Like they might listen to the EP and then be like, maybe we won't release the whole EP, but if you could just give us this one song, or if you could give us another EP in the style of this one song, then we'd consider mm. it. Um I don't know. It's not like word of God or anything, but it's just something I've heard from a few different people. Yeah, that's why I think it may be in my better interest to start thinking in those terms Mm. for when I do send these next round of songs out. Sorry, like we talked about earlier, you're definitely putting in the work on Insta to develop that like social media following, but uh, it hasn't translated into as many plays as I feel you may have wanted. Like for for me personally, at least, um, I've got around 600 followers on Insta and I checked you and you're about 500. But Mm -hmm. then like, it's really hard to get those followers over to Spotify and SoundCloud, you know, like my SoundCloud is a third or less of my, um, my Insta following and my Spotify is like even lower. (laughs) Um, so I was wondering if there's any stuff you've got in mind to do in the future to kind of translate that 
Insta following over to Spotify, SoundCloud, etc. Yeah, I'm, that's kind of like harkens back to my playing live music. I feel like social media can only go so far. People have to like see you mm. like doing stuff in front of people to like kind of in their brain legitimize it. It's like they, they can see you posting whatever on social media, but like maybe when, once they actually see you in front of people or they actually see you like playing music live or they see you like release through a label, then, you know, they'll, in their brain, they're going to be like, Oh, like this person actually means business. Let me go see what's up with them. They're not just, you know, talking all this stuff online. They're actually doing it. Maybe they're worth checking out. Hell yeah. Um, not that this has anything like much to do with Spotify or SoundCloud, but some sort of like promotional stuff I was thinking of. Well, I am getting some stickers made for this next release. And if people pre-save the album or the re- the release and then like DM me the confirmation, like a screenshot, then I'll send them some stickers. And when you pre-save the song, it also follows me on Spotify. So that's like kind of a way I've been thinking of trying to like get people to, to that link. Um, and also like a way to interact with, with people as well. Okay. I just had an idea based off that. Sorry to cut you off. But um, what you could do is when you get the stickers, like send them to all your friends, have your friends like take photos of the stickers and put them on socials. And then you repost their uh, pics of the stickers to your story and such. And then that'll, that'll kind of get the ball rolling to show that like other people are already pre-saving your Spotify uh, song. So when new people, when random people stumble upon it, um, they'll be more inclined to do it, I feel. I just think it's like, you know, thinking of ideas like this is crucial to making yourself stand out from like the everyday, you know, accounts that you see trying mm. to like, just like get in your face with ideas and like giveaways and stuff. It's, you really got to keep the ideas fresh if you want to. I don't know, succeed. Yeah. Like that, you got to develop that like guerrilla marketing mm-hmm. part of your brain. Like back in the day, you know, people would just go put posters on walls and flyers on fucking light posts and shit. But yeah. now you got to figure out how you can do that in the online landscape. Mm. So, yeah, that's like social proof is such a massive thing. And yeah, having, having friends do things for you like it's it's nothing like hey dude can you do this one thing that's going to take like five minutes out of your day and then that provides you massive value on social media it's so essential have you also considered um repost exchange or repost chains or anything like that yes i have um i just recently was looking at like Instagram accounts and SoundCloud accounts that do like repost and like blogs and stuff and uh pretty much just getting their emails for submission links and uh submitting my music. So I don't know if I don't know if I'm gonna submit this track Crash that's coming out or if I'm gonna wait till this newest song is done because the mixing in this new in this newest song is gonna be more polished and better mm. than this song crash that's coming out was because this song crash was written probably like four months ago. Um, 
and since then I've progressed a little, I've progressed a bunch. So I, I don't know which song I want to send off, but it, that that's like on my radar very soon is uh, starting to send music to these repost blogs to hopefully get accepted. I think it's like kind of eh to like buy plays and views, but if you can like get into one of these blogs who will repost your stuff in front of X amount of accounts and get X amount of views off of it, I think that's a great way to get uh, just to get more exposure. Yeah. And get your music in front of as many eyes as possible. People who, you know, are already into electronic music and maybe that's why they're following these repost pages or whatever, because they're looking for, for new music essentially. Exactly. Yeah. And then um the the ones that require you to pay for promotion, a lot of the time they're probably just fake followers and shit anyway. Yeah. What about um the website repost exchange or like I'm in a few facebook groups that are like repost chains have you considered those at all just for like soundcloud plays hmm. i have not only because i didn't know about the facebook uh chain groups however now that i do know about that i'm gonna look into that um <laughs> there's a uh dubwubs one that i recommend joining <laughs> oh okay yeah i follow double promotions on uh Instagram. I actually oh, yeah. just submitted a song to them. Oh, like, sick! Like, yeah, I don't. I mean, I, I, I hope it gets accepted, but I don't think it will. Because now that now, like going back and listening to it, there's a <laughs> few parts in it where I'm like, oh, I rushed it at this part, or I should have changed this, and it is what it is. Though so, I'm always second guessing my music stuff. I, mm. I always just gotta learn to just like I was fucking I don't know if you listened to the episode where I talked about this but I was second guessing a um remix I did for a cell dweller competition and Mm -hmm. he he put it in the fucking top 15 of the remixes oh wow so (laughs) it just goes to show you (laughs) yeah sometimes you're your own worst critic yeah (laughs) but sometimes it's absolutely like valid and you need to be (laughs) yeah yeah, I also feel like sometimes you can get wrapped up in your own self and you're like, you don't realize how shitty something sounds until like <laughs> you're done the song and you go back and listen to it a week later and you're like, oh God, what is this? Like, yeah. is this really the mix I settled on? <laughs> like, I had that, I had that experience recently. I'm so uh, glad I, that, sorry, I'm so glad that um, I'm realizing that I need to spend time on other things before actually releasing a song because Mm -hmm. if you if you think you're done with a song and then instantly upload it then a lot of the time you're gonna regret it (laughs) but um yeah yeah now i'm doing like all the marketing stuff and just promoting and all that so there's extra time to kind of go back and do those final tiny changes that really would annoy me a year later yeah but yeah, uh, is there anything else that you'd like to talk about before we kind of wrap it up here? Um, anything else I'd like to talk about? Not really. I mean, other than kind of just, you know, follow me on Instagram and check out the latest single and everything and just everything's on that link tree. Um, yeah. I just think that like never uh, getting comfortable is really important. You always want to be improving. Like I, I got comfortable 
for these two songs that I sent out to labels and I felt, you know, I, I got back what I put out, which wasn't my best. And I got back an email saying, you know, we're not going to accept this at the time. And, you know, I, I realized that I got comfortable with my producing. I thought that I had found my space and my sound. And I thought that I like, you know, my mixing was on point and it wasn't. And uh, you always just want to be working on bettering yourself. Never, mm. I don't know, never get stagnant, never get stale, never think that you know everything because yeah. you don't. Um, there's always someone out there who knows how to do something better or different or, you know, they can achieve the same thing and just do it a different way. So I always think it's just important to keep your mind open and definitely don't let rejection keep you down. I used to let rejection keep me down and you know i'm not gonna let that email i, I literally just got it while we were sitting here I, it, <laughs> I, yeah i looked down on my phone it's like we can't accept your submission i'm like this is what it is damn you know? yeah it's uh you know it uh obviously it sucks but at the same time it's it, it's the nature of the game it's yeah. the first two songs i ever sent out to them you know i can't expect my first egg to be a golden egg and, you know, they were nice about it. They were like, we really enjoyed it. It was just like the mix had some issues. Send us some more work in the future. We'd love to have a release with you. So it's like things like that, too. Like little encouragements also mm. really help. Um, yeah. You know, they weren't just like a total, sorry, kid, <laughs> get out of here. We don't want to. Kind of like, yeah, like, you know, keep trying. Like, I always think, sed- I always think sediments like that are good. Yeah. I mean, that was a little tangent. It wasn't really anything that I wanted to talk about. I kind of just started talking, but I, I think it's some good encouragement though for, for the producers who are feeling kind of rejected and like they're never going to make it because you, it is easy to receive those emails and be like, ah, my shit's just not good enough, man. Like I'm, I'm never going to be there, but really you just got to let those emails act as words of encouragement. Like, yeah to acknowledge the rejection, but still let that propel you to improve. Because if you feel like, if you honestly feel like your song was good enough and that you should have made it on the label, but then you get rejected and you take that to heart, then I feel like you kind of, this may seem harsh, but like at that point you may as well stop if that's honestly how you feel. Cause if you already feel like you're good enough, but you're not even getting accepted onto labels, then th- those things don't really match up for me. You know? Yeah, like I, I accept that I, you know, I wasn't on par with what they needed, and I need to better myself as an artist, and maybe not as an artist, but in the technical mm. aspects of things, yeah. I need to better myself. And being able to say that and like accept that is definitely a huge part of, I think, making it in this world, being able to accept criticism and be told no. Because if you think you're the shit and people don't want to hear your music, you're just going to be mad all the time. Yeah. (laughs) If you can accept that maybe like you suck sometimes and that you need improvement and help, then yeah, when someone tells you that, it's a little bit easier to hear if you've already accepted yourself. Man, I was was watching... I don't know if you're aware of the Code P remix contest, but I was watching the judgment video for that. And one of the guys that submitted was like pretty much um, tr- 
trashing Code P for not for not giving him the win. <laughs> My God. <laughs> and I was like, bro, like, not only are you ruining like your potential future reputation right now, yeah. but um <laughs> your track just wasn't that good. <laughs> like <laughs> Oh man. He he just thought it was better than people than just was, need to have some humility, you know. Yeah, I never understood that like undeserved uh confidence thing. Like mm. I'm always underconfident. I'm always thinking it's never enough. And there's people out there who think that nothing is like more than enough and that always like baffles me too, but humans are weird. <laughs> humans are fucking weird people. <laughs> Alright, I think we'll uh wrap it up there. So Oh, wow, it's almost it's been, an hour. been like yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining me, man. Um, yeah, I'm Astro Rain, and this has been episode 16 with Tercy. Who there'll be a, a link in the description to his SoundCloud, Insta, all that good stuff. Thanks for joining me, bro. Thanks for having me. Peace. Peace.